going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Nick Mulvey over Zoom video. Nick was born and raised in Cambridge, and he talks about how he got into music. He started playing drums at a very early age. His mom would take him to different percussion lessons and drum circles. He then moved on to learning piano and eventually guitar. He moved from the UK to Cuba when he was 19 years old to study music in Havana, Cuba. He ended up moving home to the UK, went to the University of London School of Oriental and African Studies. He got a degree in ethnomusicology, and he also formed a band there, learned an instrument called the hang drum, which is one of the coolest sounding instruments you will ever hear. He explains that instrument, talks about leaving the band he was in to pursue a solo career, the major success of his song Fever to the Form, and all about his brand new record, which is called New Mythology. You can watch our interview with Nick on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Nick Mulvey. Hello. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hi, I'm really good, thanks. This is Adam, yeah? This is Adam. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, being flexible on the timing. I got, I had another interview right before you, and he showed up later, and then it ran longer, so I'm so sorry. It's all in the flow, man. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I appreciate no it. Awesome. Yeah, no. well, I was going to say, this, is, uh, this podcast is about you, uh, your journey in music, and all the new stuff you have coming out, and what you got going on today. Fucking brilliant. Let's do it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, I guess first off, talk to me about where were you born and raised? So I was born um, in a town called Cambridge in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was raised there. Yeah, I lived there until I left when I was about 18 years old. And my family is still based there now. Okay. And how did you get uh, into music? Were you come from a musical household? I mean, obviously, you are an incredible musician and all that you you know, achieved. So I'm curious to see how you got it. In, oh, well, in- thank you, Adam. Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely, music was very normalized around me as I was growing up. My mom was a professional singer, although she'd sort of stopped by the time I, I was born, but um, you know, there'd be music. We would always, we're still one of those families who like sing together okay. at Christmas time, like, which, which was normal for me until I found all my friends found it really funny. When I was uh, a bit older. And so, um, yeah, and and then uh, I I just love music and and was making, you know, all kinds of music. And and, and then in my teens, you know, naturally started to grow into my own self-directed kind of learning. I wanted to play the drum kit and then I wanted to play, uh, I did, and I I learned drums and then I learned piano and then I learned guitar from there. And I was just very hungry to um, to absorb and, and, and consume all kinds of styles and all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. So it started, you started off on drums? Yeah, I mean, as a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, that was like obviously the best thing mm-hmm. possible. And the drum kit and, uh, yeah, one of our neighbors had a drum kit and I, and I loved it. And I, 
I really took to it. And um, and then my mom, particularly my mom, was quite good at like feeding me opportunities, you know. So she she created other things, like took me to drumming circles and took me to other percussion classes. And some of them like wouldn't stick. Like I didn't like the ones that were more classical or formalized or, you know, I, I certainly wasn't interested in learning to read music. Mm-hmm. Because I could just feel it in my body, and I, I felt like I could I could go directly to to the thing I wanted. So I didn't want to be so cerebral. Um, and then it continued from there. Really, like again, my mum created this opportunity for me when I was in my mid-teens with a local pianist who 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 was uh, also in Cambridge. Who was a bit older, but he's he's a pianist of some reputation now called Frank Harrison, and Frank's dad. Frank's dad owned this uh, art gallery with mm-hmm. all these like amazing paintings on the wall, this kind of very uh, amazing environment. And there was a grand piano in that art gallery and I would go and meet Frank every Friday. And he, he basically just taught me in a very instinctive, intuitive way, the bare bones of like harmony, music, how it works, why this chord feels like it wants to go there, why this chord feels like it wants to go there, what it is to resolve, what it is to, clash all these all these things and i was just like a sponge you know i was about 14 15 years old and he he taught me the bare bones of um of like how how it all works basically um in terms of chords and chord sequences mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then later on i was about 18 i picked up the guitar and i i knew i was home with the guitar you know because all of the drums and all of the rhythm that i'd, I'd uh i'd learned in in my in when I was younger was there in the right hand in my strumming hand that mm-hmm. was kind of like the drums and then all of the harmony and all of the chord stuff was kind of there in my left hand you know the all the piano stuff I remember thinking it's kind of naive but it, it kind of still rings true it was like yeah there's all my uh, instinct as the drummer in the right hand and still to this day I, 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 I can slow down my right hand but I can't really explain it I just kind of do it Interesting. And then, yeah, that and makes then the sense, though, because if you think yeah. about the hi-hat or what you're hitting mm-hmm. on your right with your right arm, it would be, yeah, the more of the the rhythm of what you would be doing. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then along those same lines, I remember this literally the first day I picked the guitar thinking that's going on in the right hand and then the left hand is uh, is the piano and the, you know, more of the intellect, more of the decision-making choice kind of someone had taught this to me. It wasn't self-taught. Like the right hand was totally self-taught, you know, the, the drumming stuff and mm-hmm. the left hand was, was more of things I'd learned and was more choices and decisions. And, and, and I can explain my left hand these days. I can, I can, you know, break it down. So that, that's kind of some of the foundations for me. Interesting. And um, I, I'm super curious to hear about how you learned how to play the hang, the, the mm. hand. Because I didn't know what the instrument was. I, I looked it up after I, when I knew I was interviewing you. And I'm like, this is the coolest looking instrument ever. It looks like a, it's like a tortoise shell almost. It's kind of like, yeah. and I was like, okay. And I watched, I went on YouTube and I found this girl playing it. And it's like the coolest instrument I've ever seen and heard. Like I was just shook, like how rad the things, I mean, it was like, transcending yeah. i'm like uh, you know i was just like oh my i could just sit here and like lay down and listen to this for like the whole day <laughs> like it, it's just like a calming instrument um but i totally, want to get to that yeah 
Yeah. I, I, before we get there, though, I'm just curious. So like learning all these instruments and becoming so like absorbed in it and, and just loving it so much, were you in a band or was it just basically you just wanted to learn? Were you writing your own songs at this point or not yet? Yeah, I mean, so like I, I had bands. Yeah, yeah. I made bands with my friends. I made bands at school and I made bands with my friends as we as we, you know, went through high school and and um, and then. And then I was joining like local samba bands. I joined a local Cuban band. I uh, and I was beginning to write songs. Yeah, I was writing songs. Also, like I, I got really into like my again. My mum, she gave me, um, she gave me an album uh, by Steve Reich, the minimalist composer Steve Reich, um, called uh, "Music for Eighteen Musicians." R-E-I-C-H, Steve Reich, and he's, he's a legend of American modern classical music, and it's it's still to this day one of my absolute favorite records. And I um I start I was writing songs at this time, but the reason why I mentioned that album is that that also inspired me to write, you know, I wrote all kinds of stuff. I wrote like sort of my own modern classical minimalist pieces. I wrote stuff that wasn't song form. I just I just kind of I wrote I made my own notation system and like Oh, wow. You know, yeah, I got, I just, just, I don't know. I didn't, they didn't know anything about anything. I just sort of did, did stuff and um, just really uh, had no question of what my passion was and, and, uh, and, and, and a very open interest in all styles, I think. Mm-hmm. And well, so then you ended up moving to, you moved down to Cuba, right? At 18 or 19 or something? I was 19. Yeah. Um, was that after you finished school and just decided like I want to go down there and 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 study or like tell me about that? Yeah, I mean I didn't quite know what I wanted to do yet, and I'd finished school and I knew I it was you know I wanted to have a life of music, but um I didn't know what yet. And then a friend's brother was um was was had been traveling and he came back to Cambridge, and he. When I saw him, he said, "Oh, Nick, it's funny. I, I was uh, I went to this music school in Havana, and when I was there, I kept thinking about you. I thought uh, you'd enjoy it, you know. And I thought a music school in Havana it just like seemed impossibly cool to me and, and interesting. Mm-hmm. So I looked up the school. It had a very basic website, El Instituto Superior de Artes, the Institute of Higher Arts, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this it's this um, this dream project. I think directly from Che Guevara and Fidel Castro when the revolution happened in the late fifties, uh, wow. they they took command of this huge mansion and property with a golf course and stuff on the edge of Havana, with a huge with a huge dwelling on it, a big house. And th- the story goes that the two of them were walking through it, and they they started to imagine this being rather than a privately owned individual property. They were wondering could we transform this into the Caribbean's premier art school and they basically did that you know like obviously with then minimal means when the embargoes kicked in they couldn't they didn't have a lot of um materials so they developed these very interesting buildings dotted around this land and it's now and has been for, for, for decades this um this school of music dance film photography you know and there's like two thousand young people maybe 60 percent cuban 40 percent international and um and I just, I just got in touch, and you know, was lucky enough to. They said, "Sure, come along," and and uh, I got, I got a spot there, and um, and was there for a good chunk of time, just really learning some Cuban guitar, learning percussion, and it was the first time for me that I played 
every day. I, st- I played oh. two, three, four hours every day. And I started to f- have that very gorgeous experience of like fluency of, of really starting to have, you know, if I have an idea, I can, I can just, it can just move through my fingers. You know, that, that I began to experience that, which was, I always remember there. Mm-hmm. And where did and then where did you pick up where did you pick up the hang instrument? Was that so when you were in there? Or was that before? Yeah. No, it was just after. Like I, I, I did. I decided what to do next. I found this course in London that was like a, a, a degree, a university degree in ethnomusicology. Mm-hmm. So that's like the anthropology of music, ethnomusicology, looking at music from from around the world, particularly Africa and Asia, throughout different time, and. Um, I I just was like, yeah, that, that that interests me. I'd love to go do that. And just before I, I started that uni course in London, I went to a music festival in the UK called WOMAD. And um, there was a little stall, like a percussion shop, like a little store um, with like loads of different percussion instruments. And, in, and they also had two of the first 60 hand drums because the instrument had only been invented, you know, maybe three years before that. Mm-hmm. and um and so there really weren't that many and so me and my friend like this festival we stumbled across it i remember absolutely falling in love with it and um calling my mum and again she's coming up a lot already in this podcast <laughs> and, and, and so she should you know she's she's been she's, sounds she's, like a big uh, influence a big party a big lo- supporter a great perf- yeah and uh, mm-hmm. i remember just you know having the money to get this instrument but calling calling my mum up saying like please you know I've seen this thing trust me like send me the money and, and I'll get it and, and, and like, you'll understand I couldn't quite describe it I said it looked like a UFO like a tortoise shell right it sounds incredible and um and, and yeah so then I then I took that instrument to London as a student and so did my friend he went to a different he went to an art school in London but nearby and um, within a, within six months or something, we met the other players and we formed our band Portico Quartet based around this this hand drum. Oh wow! Okay, so it all. And how long were you playing it before you were able to, you know, actually, you know, put a band together and write with this with this instrument? Well, I mean, the thing about the hand drum is it was absolutely instant for me because i was i'm a very intuitively led rhythmic person you know i can Mm -hmm. i can kind of get music out of something i'm not a specialist at you know i'm pretty much a specialist at one thing in a way with 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 the guitar so i was saying i was already playing a lot of different drums like the Mm -hmm. you know frame drums skin drums and i could take those rhythmical patterns and then literally transfer them over to the hang drum h-a-n-g hang drum Mm -hmm. and it was a an exciting process for me because um, I didn't have to do anything differently, and the same patterns were now gloriously melodic and harmonic. Because the hang drum is a, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, is a uh, tuned percussion instrument similar to the steel pan but much softer, and you use it with your hands and your fingers. So I was taking those same patterns and just doing them on the hang drum, and suddenly making this gloriously melodic music. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so in answer to your question, it took it took no time at all, and and it was the process of some months before we had a little band together. But um, yeah, it was really it was really quick. Really. Because with the with the hang drum, you're yeah, you have the rhythm, but then it's almost like there's these holes on it, right? Where you can tap them, and it and it almost gives a different. No- Is it different notes? Because it sounds like you're you're almost playing different notes. Yeah, 
Like if you're, yes, it's got it. They coordinate with like, here's an A or this is an E or, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's a scale. Yeah. It's a scale. And actually, on on that point, interestingly, when they first made the hand drum, they were really free forming which scales they used. They they experimented lots of different scales and some some of them, some stranger, really interesting scales. And I I like that. And then, and then uh, at a certain point, couple of years after i got into them around maybe 2007 um they uniformed all the hang drums to be this kind of d harmonic minor and oh. that's cool because it means every hang drum player can jam together right, right. but i thought it was a, i thought it was a loss in a way because uh that that variety of the diversity of scales was was, was cool i thought mm-hmm. yeah because i looked it up i'm like i've never even seen this but like, then i i found them online and they're not cheap, but they're also like really, really cool sounding. That's some like an instrument. I was like, wow, this would be so rad to learn because it's just such a cool, like calming instrument. Yeah. Oh, this it's a real impressive invention. You know, if you don't hear. First of all, you don't hear of many new instruments. Like right. you know, there's new technology. There's new, uh, you know, all kinds of new technology always. But in terms of new acoustic instruments like that, it, it's pretty rare. And, and then they. They they're deep, man. The guys who made it in Switzerland are very deep. You know, they they are very aware of of literally the, the certain resonances and frequencies which which open up the human physiology in terms of opening the heart, and they really explored that. So wow. when you when you hear it and you, and you you do have this kind of like wow experience, it, it's totally uh, designed that way to really open up kind of our physiology, and and it's just a really beautiful beautiful sound, and it's almost like. It would take a guitarist years and years to develop his understanding of his instrument, his amplifier or her mm-hmm. pedals. Like it would take them a long time to to develop this a sound as good as this. But the makers of the hand drum have already done that. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is strike the thing with your finger in the right in the right way. And, you know, it's great for kids. Kids can do it, and this glorious sound is. Um, it just just happens for you, you know. So it was the perfect basis to start a band and make a band with, you know. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard of it, of any bands really using it. Like it's such a beautiful instrument that I would assume that more people would use it. And maybe you know more than I do, but I feel like not a lot of people are using it. Yeah, I mean Bjork's used it. Um, Fortet has used it. Okay. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's definitely not an underground thing like it was back then. I mean, by the way, you know, like when, with this band that we formed and then we had our, you know, our process of releasing albums and doing well, like yeah, we, we found that we found ourselves for a moment at the really, at the forefront of this new instrument. And then, you know, my journey went different ways and, and uh, you know, in, in the interim years, it, it's become, I would say like quite well known, the hang drum, but it's still like, it's still pretty, pretty uh out there yeah it, it really is like i've when i saw it i was so in- intrigued and then when i heard it i'm like wow this is such a cool sounding thing hey, you, should, you should get your hands on one you, you'll enjoy it. i know i looked it up and i'm like whoa like, and uh, yeah it's rad you know what's funny is i showed it to my father-in-law who was at, at my house when we were when i was learning about it and i was like look because he's way into music i'm like look at this instrument this thing is like have you heard of this and he's like no and i'm showing it to him and then he showed me uh, I think it was Thomas Edison or somebody like an uh, inventor made an instrument and it's of like this, the tones, like if you were to take 
your finger and kind of rub it over the top of a wine glass with water in it. It goes okay. like, like it has that high pitch. It's mm. on, he showed me this video and it's like on a, like a rack, like a, like a bar and there's all this glass yeah. and it spins and it has water mm. and it sounds like an organ. Have you seen that? Yeah. So it, you don't have to turn your hand because the no, actual whole stru- the structure is turning is and you just put yeah. your hands down like it's a keyboard and it's like, yeah. It, yeah. he showed me that. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, the, and there was another instrument just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I've seen that once. Yeah. So a video of it once. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's just so wild, but um, that's so cool. Like, and again, when I heard that, I was just like blown away, uh, but you, obviously you left that band. Uh, you, you guys had success. You left the band, then you started your own solo career, which ends up having, you know, mass success as well. Was that a hard decision to make? Like leaving to start pursuing, you know, a singer songwriter career? Yeah, it was, you know, cause we, we were young and we had our band, you know, you, you lived that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think some people know that, that journey, you know, like what it's like to make a band with your friends and, or people have their first startup company or like, you know, it's your whole life and it's, and, and we lived it and it, we were a tribe and um, we all lived together. And so it was, um, it was something, it wasn't a hard decision to leave in the sense that I knew I had to, uh, to go on this path, you know, because I, I was a guitarist and I wasn't playing any guitar and mm-hmm. I was a singer and I wasn't singing, you know, so I wanted to do both the guitar and the songs, which weren't a part of, Portico Quartet and I wanted to grow and I, I wanted to, you know I wanted to do different music so um I knew I had to and and, and that I couldn't go against that but at the same so but it was a hard decision because yeah you know like, I, I love love being in that band a lot mm-hmm. and once you you like what do you do for like you you just decide okay I mean obviously you leave the band and you have probably a handful of songs together do you just go out and just start trying to play everywhere you can like what was your first you know yeah well i mean being in ground i mean being in the band i already had a good experience you know with sort of now like probably five or six years living in london Mm -hmm. i'd done my degree and i'd had a good run with like with the band with record labels with having nominations for prizes with right making a good network of contacts you know so so it it wasn't it wasn't like starting from scratch um Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, I already had a good sense, for example, of, of the of, some, of the different scenes in London that I was a part of or that I wanted to go and play at. And, and then you just kind of, yeah, start, start making a name, name for, for yourself. And I, I started playing, playing a lot of nights and developing my, teary, my material. I remember I got a little studio space. Um, I, I had just enough money to get by. I, I had like a, you know, I was a teacher's assistant in a classroom as well for, what, for you know, for a year to just to just help them keep the pay this this little studio space it was like a not a recording studio a little writing right. studio i had right and i remember like studying my heroes it was like this phrase it was like i'm just gonna like fill my mind with like how the greats um, how they write songs how they how they put bands together how they you know i remember being just really hungry again um and it wasn't too long before i signed uh a deal, a major a deal with Universal Records, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, yeah, you know, like I got help making my first EPs, first recordings. Um, then I got a booking agent, and I kind of all then yeah, it's hard for me to remember every, the sequence of everything, but it it then sort of started to get kind of plugged into to a more professional scenario with um, 
my first recordings and uh, started going out on support tours. You know, so that was a real, that was quite a kind of a baptismal fire because I was playing in in pubs or, or small venues and then I was going out and supporting these Mexican guitarists called Rodrigo and Gabriela for 18 nights around. Oh, wow. I know, I know who that is. Yeah, Rodrigo and Gabriela, yeah, I supported them for a long run. Um, uh, you know, and they're playing arenas in in, um, in Germany and in France and... Uh, yeah, supported them uh, for a bunch of dates. I supported Willie Mason, um, supported Laura Marling, mm-hmm. uh, Leanne Le Havas. Like, it, my life seemed to suddenly get like I was out on the road a lot. I was mm-hmm. just now kind of like learning how to perform these songs pretty much solo at the guitar, um, and I was. Uh, you know, yeah, that was that was how it was kind of building for me, and and it wasn't easy in a way. I definitely felt an interruption with um with my the, the normal rhythms of of being at home in in London, and um, you know, it, it was it was a lot to get used to as well as as well as really fun and, and good. You know? mm-hmm. And what would you say, like you know, obviously signing Universal and having these big moments, these big tours. What would, what would be can you think of like a, a turning point or like a milestone moment for you that you're like, wow, like I'm, this is really, really working. I'm so glad I, you know, decided to, to take this path as the songwriter, singer songwriter. I mean, um, I think I, there's various things I could point to, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the first album, I think, yeah, probably, um, the answer to that question for me is a song called Fever to the Form. Um, so it's kind of a combination of an artistic response. Like it was something I made that I was like, wow, I'm I'm really proud of this. Like this mm-hmm. is mixing the things I, I, I ever wish to mix, you know, like from songwriter to like more electronic music. And it was a very instinctive, natural song, quite a simple song, but it, it had genuine depth and texture and uh, like, still to this day one of my well it is my most successful song mm-hmm. and um and i think i've made that with a producer called dan carey down in south london so and it was the beginning of our relationship we've, we've done a lot of work together dan and i and i think that that's that making that song and then and then, then releasing it and it kind of being it's you know a hit with a small h you know it kind of it really it's never stopped connecting it, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a very special song for me that one and um and that opened up a lot of doors for me mm-hmm. and from like obviously you have a new record coming out what, next month is or july yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, next month june june, june. june 10th. yeah and like so just to get into where you were kind of when the pandemic happened like wh- what would you have like where does this record fall into that or had you start did, did you begin writing it much later like where were you when you know COVID hit and then how did okay, that so, moving forward so first album was released in 2014 or you know, right back then and then and then you know th- things i was quite slow with, with my process with writing the next albums and it was 20 end of 2017 yeah was, and it, yeah and i toured that extensively for two years all the way up until 2019 Mm-hmm. When I finished touring that record, I now had two kids. Oh, and okay. Yeah, so life, life was, life was flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I have two kids. I hands, feel you on that. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, fellow, wow. Um, hands are full, and um, and 
I decided to move to Ibiza with the family. Um, I'd finished the, the last kind of shows of the second album campaign. Mm-hmm. And now I wanted to kind of write the new album and live in a warmer climate, basically. Simple as that. I wanted to live, I wanted to have less freezingly cold winters and uh, and the kids were young. And, and so uh, I moved to Ibiza and I got writing through 2019. I, I de- started developing these songs, which have become this new album. And then, of course, beginning of 2020, I managed to get to the UK in January 2020 and did some demos. Um, and then, and then, you know, in a way that the you know, the pandemic happening at that time was, was quite kind for me because I wasn't already out on tour having to cancel shows and, and you know, like cancel album campaigns and stuff. I was already in a quite insular process of writing new material. Okay. And, and the, the, the pandemic just kind of meant that I had a bit more time in a way to develop this material. Mm-hmm. And I so mean, it's been, yeah, yeah it's been, there's been many effects of, of the pandemic on me, but, but I'm, I'm grateful that the, the timings were like they were in many ways for sure. Right. So yeah, it sounds like you were going to take some time off anyway, and then to focus on the record, do you feel like it, uh, the pandemic had any effect on the way the album sounded at all or would was it you already were planning on kind of approaching the record this way anyway? Yeah, I'd say that, that my wheels were rolling. I knew what the, I wanted this record to be. The, you know, being on stage a lot with the second record really taught me uh, a lot of basic principles about what I wanted to do with this, with, with what has become the next record. So mm-hmm. the, all, the, all the tours I did back in 2017, 2018, 2019, like I knew I wanted this uh, this next record to be very pure like i wanted i knew i wanted to have space to breathe um not fill it up too much and um yeah i mean my my the things i care about writing about i've just been focused on them and i think they i didn't have to change them with the pandemic it's already resonant you know it's, i'm singing about you know the, the this time of, of great transformation on earth mm-hmm. and the songs are personal and they're planetary and they were always like that and I didn't have to change a thing and they just, they just resonate. Um, you know, and, and I think I made the decision to make the album with a uh, producer in Paris called Renaud Latang. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the easiest thing to decide to work with a producer in a different country. I was living obviously in Ibiza, Spain. Mm-hmm. He was in Paris and the world was locking down. Um, but in actual fact, we started working when the world was opening up a little bit. This was the end of 2020. And I remember this little corridor between Ibiza and Paris and his studio for various reasons just remained open when everything around it was shutting, you know. It seemed to be like countries are shutting down here and there. And Renault himself was the the owner of his studio. So he was like able to say, no, we're keeping business as usual. We're carrying okay. on. We're they're open, so I was able just to keep making this record despite everything closing down. So it wasn't like something you had to do virtually. Like you, you didn't have to approach it any differently when it came to that. It sounds like well, well, come the beginning of 2021, we were still working on the record, but of course, then there were another wave of like oh right proper proper lockdown. So um, by that point, uh, we then did have to pause until April. So then we picked it up in April and I, and I finished it off with a few more sessions in Paris. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been a revelation working with, with Renault, the producer. 
And it's the first time you've worked with them. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was, you know, I was tipped off to his work. I, I was, I was um, put onto his work. Uh, yeah, just just before I started working with him, so I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but I knew a lot of the albums. You know, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of the records he made. He he made all the records with Feist back in the noughties. Oh, sure, okay. And he and he made an album I've always loved back in the late nineties called Clandestino by Manu Chao. Okay. So, um, and he's done a lot of stuff in recent times with Mac DeMarco and with um, Conan Moccasin. Oh, really? So, yeah, he's got quite a, you know, <laughs> diverse, you know, John, I mean, diverse amount of records there. Yeah, I mean, he's really one of the top producers in France. He's very much like the top alternative, you know, producer, I would say, in France. So he's a, he's a legend, man. I mean, he's he's a master of... Of, I didn't find a genre that he he didn't he couldn't explain you know like when when I and I love a lot of wide range of music and a lot of them influenced my music and he would he had such a working understanding in depth understanding of uh, of of different genres and and just a proper old school producer there aren't that many these days I don't think and he um I think you can hear it with this with this new album. New, new mythology is the name of the new album. Mm-hmm. I think you can hear it. It's it's like these recordings are just like are really, really high quality recordings, and and he he's to thank for that. Really, that's amazing. Mecca's the first single you put out from the record. Mecca's Mecca's now the it's the fourth. Oh, fourth. Okay, I'm yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, Mecca's man. the one I just recently listened to, so I, was, I assumed it. Would be, but I guess the record's coming out and. A couple of weeks so that makes more right. sense <laughs> yeah so so uh well tell me about mecca yeah mecca for me is a really exciting track because it is you know it's, it's quite a, a new space for me musically mm-hmm. um and one of the reasons it's a new space for me musically is because it's the only cover on the album so the song was written by someone else it's, it's um it's written by a band from the UK, uh, who are no longer together anymore, a kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, um, post-rock indie band called Wild Beasts. Okay, I hadn't, I've never heard of them. I didn't realize yeah, it was a cover really song. Great band, and, and I always loved that song of theirs called Mecca, and I, and I kind of, I decided one day to learn it on the guitar, and then um, I realized, yeah, I, I, I started to look closer at the lyrics, and I thought, oh, these lyrics are incredible. Um, <clears throat> and um and because someone else wrote it it does it makes musical choices that i n- wouldn't normally do myself and that's why mm-hmm. it kind of pushes me pushes me to do it to a different place much more into my falsetto voice in in the in the singing mm-hmm. and then um and uh yeah so it's also a song where like most of the time i start recording on the guitar um, and in, and that was the same with Mecca, but somewhere through the recording process, we actually muted my guitar part, and it was like, there it is, wow, that's oh. where all the space is. It was much better without my guitar. So for me, it's exciting because it's a uh, it's a song where I'm not playing guitar, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, it's uh, I think it's, it's I'm really proud of this piece of work actually. It's quite is it quite different from I have I have to go back and listen to the original now. Is it quite different from the original sound of the song? I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I've I've honoured the song, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, I always loved the song, and when I 
when I found out how good the lyrics were, I was like, these lyrics need to be really understood. They need, they can be really clearly said because you don't, I didn't quite get them. The song, the original song is brilliant, but mm -hmm. it's complex. The, 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 the arrangements, the musical choices they made in the studio, the way they've performed it. It's, it's really complex. And I just thought, you know, actually we can be simpler with this. Like this is going to really cut through and resonate. Um, if, if it's given space to breathe. Amazing. Well, uh, congratulations on the record uh, coming out in a couple of weeks. And then you're doing a tour of the States. I saw you have a couple of, you have a sold out show in LA and doing New York and Toronto. And that's right. That's exciting. Man, I'm so ready and excited to tour this music and this, uh, this album. Yeah. Very, very cool. And glad you're doing Glastonbury too, aren't you? Yep. So we got, we got a lot of touring starting in the UK. I mean, it's actually really, uh intense moment for me because uh, with all this build-up i've just described over many years and all this break from touring and everything um i'm getting ready to release this album and i've actually just recently developed a wrist injury which is oh my gosh i've ever had that yeah it's, it's really um it's a deep process for me it's a deep journey and um you know I, i'm still i'm in the rehearsal studio now and we're we're finding a way to to put this show together in a really uh interesting really great way that is uh i'm playing a bit less guitar mm -hmm. uh you know and i'm i come to um to the states in july so i'm hopeful that um that the injury will be fully cleared by then but um right now having been through a lot of fear and deep sort of dense feelings around it you know, I, was, I was i was pretty uh pretty unpleasant to be around for, for a week or two back, you know, a month ago, because I was looking like I might have to cancel everything. Thankfully I don't, but um, having been through that now I've gone into acceptance and like this wrist injury is teaching me so much right now about, about having the courage to show up in different ways on stage. I'm playing piano again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm singing songs without the guitar. I'm bringing more of the recorded sounds from the studio into the production of stage, which is wild. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, 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 I'm pretty sure this wrist injury is going to be something that's opening up the whole new and next levels for me. Right. Um, it's like you're almost, really instead of staying it. on the, just the one thing you're now you're having to like, you're there, you're forced to almost reevaluate how to, to do the show live. Yeah, man. And it's frightening, you know, it takes me to really uncomfortable places, but I'm just like, okay, this is where I grow. This is it. Like I'm going to be up on stage without a guitar in my hands. That's a first. Uh, but it's cool. You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be really, you know, it, I like that it's going to need me to share that vulnerability with my people, with the crowd and with, with the fans. And we're going to have to co-create it together. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a deep process for me right now. Congratulations, Nick, on the record and, uh, the, you know, the shows here in the States. I know the, if not all of them are sold out, I know the LA one is for sure. Um, yeah. New York is as well. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations on that. And what I've heard of the record's amazing and I appreciate your time and thanks for being flexible on the, on the time as well. No, no problem, man. No problem. Nice to I, chat, Adam. Yeah. I have one more quick question for you, Nick, before I let you go though. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about, you know. Um, I don't know about advice. Like, I'm a bit skeptical of advice because I'm, I'm a beginner. 
in, in you know in some senses um i try and always stay a beginner um if you know what i mean um in in, in the openness to to things but um study your heroes study your heroes really closely um and um uh you know like um I think, I think, yeah, just, just do things. You have to, it's like this, make music that comes from a place that is so deep inside of you. It's so necessary for you to make that music. You'd be kind of deformed or, 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 or like unresolved or frustrated if you didn't make the music. Like make it from a place of such deep necessity that the question of whether it's good enough or how it compares in the, in, in the world to other works is just completely irrelevant because you made it for your own reasons, because you needed to, because you're happier now that you've made it. And, and that is the way for young musicians to be liberated from the tyranny of comparison, from the tyranny of like thinking too much about, um, you know, judging themselves too much, you know, the question is like, can you go deep enough to find something that you just have to express, um, you know?